Okay, I'm sure if it's not on that Sergio will get in touch with you. So. Yes. Okay, hat, which is grace. It's on. Man with arms raised. To look, reveal, breathe. Teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will keep your law, and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may fear be so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts. Preserve my life in your righteousness. All right, let's see here. We have uh Miss Garrett, how are you? Fine. Unbelievable. It's wonderful. The Lord is so good. Uh, it's 12 June. No, it's not. What day is it today? 16. 16. Oh, I see. Jody's not here, so we're we're running on. 16. That was last Sunday. Yeah, that's right. Jody's the one that always does that. So uh, it'll be the 19th, apparently, when we do. I need to correct you. Huh? Didn't she do? She didn't do her job. We need to find a new blackboard person. I finally watched the wedding. I watched it with Burke a few minutes ago. It was wonderful. It was. Wonderful. Was it, was it pared down at all, or you just raw from beginning to end? Okay. Live stream, yeah. Okay, so we're in June 16th. It says, in times of battle, men's thoughts often turn to prayer, and for good reason. On June 16th, 1775, a significant prayer meeting took place in Boston. Boy, that hasn't happened in a couple hundred years. The day before, the Patriots had learned of English General Gage's plan to occupy the southern projection of Bunker Hill on the Charleston Peninsula across the Charles River from Boston. In the twilight of June 16th, 1,200 Patriot troops gathered on the Cambridge Common. There, Samuel Langdon, the gray-haired president of Harvard College, led them in prayer concerning the awesome task before them. He prayed, Oh, may our camp be free from every accursed thing. May our land be purged from all its sins. May we truly be holy people and all our towns and cities of righteousness. After the prayer, the Patriot commander, William Prescott, led the Patriot troops to arise near Bunker Hill, overlooking the British army that occupied Boston. All through the night, they worked to prepare fortifications to withstand the British soldiers the next day. General Gage committed 2,200 British soldiers, a third of all his troops, to the operation. At two in the afternoon, the cannon fire from the British ships in Boston Harbor intensified against the Patriot position as the British troops crossed the Charles River in small boats and then formed themselves into long lines. As the church bells tolled three o'clock, Gage's field commander, General William Howe, began leading his troops up the long hill. Behind him, two rows of British soldiers, stretching the complete width of the peninsula, advanced up the open slope toward the Patriot position. It puzzled the British troops that the Patriots did not fire a single shot at them as they advanced, even though they were well in range. Prescott, the Patriot commander, had commanded his men with the new, now famous words, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. The young soldiers bravely did as they were told and were victorious. Seeing the piles of red coat British soldiers all around them, 
They knew that they had not just won a battle, but that God had given them the victory. Amos Farnsworth, a corporal in the Massachusetts militia, wrote in his diary that night, Oh, the goodness of God in preserving my life, although they fell on my right hand and on my left. Oh, may this act of deliverance of thine, oh God, let, lead me never to distrust thee, but may I ever trust in thee and put confidence in no arm of the flesh. Another soldier, Peter Jennings, wrote to his mother, God in his mercy fought our battle for us. And although we were but few, we preserved in a most wonderful way, far beyond expectation. God answered the prayers of the previous night's prayer meeting. Reflection. What battles are you facing where you need to trust? Where you need to trust God for the victory. Notice that Samuel Langdon didn't pray merely for physical deliverance from the battle, but that they would be delivered from sin and be a holy people. As part of your prayer life, make a list of your requests and then record the victories that God gives you. I will call on the Lord, I will call on God, and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night I plead aloud in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He rescues me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, even though many still oppose me. God, who is king forever, will hear me and will humble them. Psalm fifty-five. Okay, let's see. We got um, uh, somebody has asked for prayer for Bill Steves. The Lord knows what his needs are, and uh, so that's all I have for you is that uh, just have Bill Steves in prayer. And uh, let's see here. Um, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to uh, to share in your word, to be able to pray for other people. Lord, uh, it, we do lift up Bill Steves. And also, Lord, uh, I would certainly take a moment to ask your uh, hand upon this nation, whether it's for good or bad at this point. It, uh, we just need to see your divine hand at work because we have gone so far from you. We, we are so far from you right now with the current administration, with the current Congress in both houses that we are in real distress in, in front of you. And we're, we've become a disgrace in front of your eyes. And Lord, I would just pray that we could have people that are like the ones we mentioned a moment ago that uh, prayed that we would be free from sin and that we would live holy lives and uh, uh, it seems like at this point it's not going to return to that. It uh, is a hard thing to uh, consider but the whole world is following one path and it seems like uh, uh, we may be on the path with the rest of us. So Lord whatever your hand is we would love to see your hand at work taking care of wickedness or turning this nation back to righteousness, whatever is your will. But I certainly just pray just in general for the nation right now. And I know the people that uh, care about the uh, state of the world would do that as well. Lord, uh, we uh, ask that you bless this class. And if there's anything missing that is uh, not appropriate, that is wrong in doctrine, please alert us to that. And, uh, we would pray that uh, the doctrine would be approved by you and that we would be sound in what we teach. But we leave that in your hands, asking you to correct us if, in fact, there is something wrong. We love you, Lord. You're so good to us. We praise you. We exalt you. We glorify you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, let's see here. We are in the book of Philippians. Philippians. And we're in the fourth chapter, which is the last chapter of the book of Philippians. 
We should be done tonight. We should be done tonight. 411. Let's see here. Um, let's see here. How many verses do we have? We have 411. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. We've got to get through 23. We might be able to get to... Maybe not. Okay. Maybe. We'll try. So, start the paragraph there. Thanks for their gifts. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I love it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Okay, wonderful words. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Well, if we can just do that, if we can just be content in the state that we're in, that would be a pretty great place to be because uh, uh, especially with the way things are going right now in the world, I mean, it's hard to find suitable housing, it's hard to find a suitable car, it's hard to find, uh, uh, you know, food that is within a, a budget that we used to be used to. It's definitely hard to find gas that isn't, uh, you know, you have to chop off a leg to pay for it now. So uh, there are certain things that maybe we need to give up and that's part of life, you know. We've always had it so easy in the United States. I mean, obviously the people during the war sacrificed for the war effort, but um, just what is it that makes you happy, right? Is it having more stuff? Is it going to the movie every night, going out for dinner every day? Or is it just being content that you are in the presence of the Lord? You know, I, uh, Hedico, poor Hedico, I'm the most a type personality on the planet but the one thing I do love to do more than anything is just to be home with Hedico you know we're home where we have dinner and it's nice and quiet around there and uh, but then she has to put up with me we got one dog we got one dog that just stands there and for no reason at all will just bark at me it just does it all the time and when I'm in a bad mood that is the wrong thing to do it irks me and so then I'm not Mr. Happy and, you know, because I'm tired or I'm trying to concentrate on a devotional. And if that dog is around, it just will stand there and bark. Arr, arr, arr. So, What's the tail doing? Uh, I don't know. I don't look at the, I don't even look at the dog. I don't like the dog. Anyway, I like all dogs, and I do like that dog, but I don't like the dog. Okay. Anyway, um, but what is it that we are content with? Okay, that's what we need to uh, understand. But anyway, I'll give you my commentary. I don't know why I said that just now, but Hedico walked in and... I'm just so content with her in my life. Um, Paul, having noted that the care of him by the Philippians had flourished again, his words. Now He now notes that what was given to him was a blessing beyond basic <coughs> needs. He states this by saying, not that I speak in regard to need. The I here is emphatic. It is his way of saying that his needs were always met and that what they gave to care for him brought him above that basic state. Okay, once again, uh, what is the basic state that you can say, I am content in? All right, that is what we should be trying to live as the ideal of our life, not as the, the point to grow from, but the ideal. And then anything that comes above that is what Paul would be talking about right now. It would be above his basic needs. But if we set a very low bar for the ideal in our lives and we say, I'm content with this thing, then that is probably a good place to be. Because, and I say that now, especially with the way the economy is going, with the way that the morality in this country is going, with the agenda that is set against the people of this nation, we have to find our happy spot with the very basics. And if we can do that, you know, I have a friend 
he's moved a lot in the past five years, a lot. And he said to me about a month ago, he said, I have found that when I move, I always long for the place that I left. And he says, it takes me 50 days. And then I'm just completely in my sweet spot where I, I no longer think about those things. I'm just content. And I was thinking about that. If you went to prison, you would be miserable. But there's a point where you suddenly say, I can live with this. I'm and that's home. probably yeah. about 50 days. So the person that uh, had said that happens to be sitting in this church right now because he has just moved again. And it's going to take him 50 days to figure out that Publix is green and not blue. But once he figures that out, then we will know that he is content where he is. But, Yes. Um, but, you know, the point is that um, if things go bad, it is a real adjustment for you to say, you know, I don't have the Internet anymore or I don't have a car and I've got to ride a bicycle or whatever it is. It, but eventually you get used to it. And so uh, if you can just keep that in mind that it's not the end of the world, now, you know, and that's really important because what happened in the, uh, the financial crashes, every time there's a financial crash, you always hear about people jumping out of buildings in New York City. They cannot adapt to that and they, they think I've lost everything. If they just wait 50 days, they're gonna say, you know, it's not that bad. But that is something that we need to find contentment in and Paul was able to do that. I'll read that again. The I here, I, is emphatic. It is his way of saying that his needs were always met and that what they gave to care for him, okay, brought him to above that basic state. If he did not receive their care, he would still make do. And so we have to keep that in mind is that if things go bad in our life, whatever type of thing it is, there is a certain period where you can uh, adjust, but it'll, it'll pass. You will get used to whatever the state is. People that, you know, were in Germany, for example, or uh, wherever during the war. And these people had to suddenly change their entire lives. But they adapted. And at the end of the war, they got through it. So I, I don't know why I feel it's important for us to consider that right now. But the world is not the place that it was two years ago. In, in another six months, if our administration has its way, it's not going to be the way it is right now. And we need to, we need to be ready for that. Okay, Paul conveys this in the words, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The word for content here is autarkis. It is an adjective found only here in the Bible and which means self-sufficient. Content in the sense of being satisfied because living in God's content, his fullness. This inward sufficiency is as valid in low times, meaning suffering, as in high times, meaning temporal prosperity. That is helps word studies. And as I said, I brought him up a week or two weeks ago, the guy in China that uh, was in the cell and he was crying out to the Lord and the guy that heard him doing that said it was the sweetest sound I ever heard. This guy was content in the position he was in. Paul, when he was in the prison with, uh, what's his name, um, uh, Silas? Silas, okay. One for Paul, one for Silas. Okay, great song. Anyway, um, uh, they were in the prison, and at midnight, what were they doing? Singing. They were singing, absolutely. So, you know, if you can find contentment in whatever situation you're in, you're going to be a lot better off when things go bad. And I will not say if things go bad, because things are going to go bad. We don't know when, but it's going to happen. So the word was used by the Stoics, this word uh, contentment, 
to show that they were capable of handling all situations that they were in. Do you guys know what a stoic is? Okay, a stoic is a person that shows no emotions. That was their basically the way that they ran their lives. It was almost a religion to them. It may have actually been their religion, but they showed no emotions. They tried not to get happy or sad or anything like that. They tried to just find contentment in what they were doing at all times. So that's a stoic, okay? Uh, the word was used by the stoics, this word autarkis, um, to show that they were capable of handling all situations that they were in. Paul uses it not as a source of pride like the Stoics would have, but rather as his way of showing that in Christ he was made capable of meeting all necessities without burdening others. Okay, This can be inferred from countless other passages where he demonstrates his total reliance on the Lord in all ways and at all times. And that obviously included what the Lord gave him, which was hands for making tents and the ability to, you know, just survive in situations that other people would have found intolerable. So when I say he had total reliance on the Lord, it included what the Lord bestowed in him as a human being. And if we can find that, and you know, there are these people that can make things happen when nothing else is out there. In other words, um, I got a friend that sends me videos of a guy that can start a fire with anything. It is unbelievable. He'll start a fire with a, an aluminum can, and he shows you how to do it. He'll start a fire with a Coke bottle that he finds on the side of the road. He'll start a fire by, um, he'll take uh, ashes from a previous fire and he'll put it inside of a, a piece of uh, cotton, roll it up and hit it and it'll start a fire. So in other words, there are people that are able to do things so that when the ball does drop, they will be ready. You know, it, it, and if you, I'm not telling you to be a prepper, although you should probably at this point be a prepper. Anyway, um, uh, if you can figure out the essentials that you will need for difficult times, then you will do well. And Paul certainly did that. Whatever he carried on his person is what he needed to survive. And he probably was able to start a fire. He was probably able to, you know, I've got my needle, I've got my thread, and I know how to uh, trap an animal. I can make something and I can sell it. So, um, but we don't think that way today because we have a job we go to, we have money, we're gonna spend money, and then we're gonna go make more money and everything is fine. But if you can think about how to be sufficient in your life and content in your sufficiency, you will be doing a lot better, okay? Um, I'm not talking about, when I say being a prepper, I'm not talking about storing up a bunch of stuff and all that. That's fine if you do that, but being capable. If you're capable, you will find your life will be a lot better, and I guarantee you that Paul was a capable person. Okay, his life's experience had, excuse me, his life's experiences had brought him to this state, and he was able to put his trust in the Lord no matter what situation he found himself in. This is seen elsewhere, such as in Acts 20. Let me take you there. Don't, I'm not in Acts 20 yet. What are we in right now? Acts 8. So um, I'm just enjoying the Acts. I, every day I get up and that, I'm so happy to be writing a commentary on a new verse from Acts. I've been thinking about, um, what's the guy's name? Simon, the sorcerer right now. I'm just enjoying it. I got up to, uh, I just finished with him yesterday, and today the apostles are heading back to uh, Jerusalem, and on the way they're evangelizing people uh, in the little towns of Samaria on their way. And that actually convicted me while I was typing that commentary on Acts. You know, at the end I give a life application, and my life application was, you know, are you, are you telling people about Jesus on your way to places? 
And I thought, you know, I got to the mall this morning and I thought there's a girl that's been working at the mall. She's the first person there every day. And I haven't talked to her to her about Jesus yet. And it's been a couple months she's been working there. We're friendly enough where I say hi every day and she knows my name, but I don't know her name and I'm embarrassed about that. But anyway, um, so I went up to the store and I went in, nobody in there. So I don't know what she was doing. But anyway, I wanna make a point of doing that because I'm typing this thing, trying to get people convicted about telling people about Jesus. And there's somebody that is frequently in my life now for you know just a hello, but I need to tell this person she about Jesus. Uh, yeah, no, there's no name tags. This is a non-name tag business. So, but that's okay. I'll just go in and we'll start talking and I'll say, I just need to talk to you for five minutes about something. And I, I just didn't get to that today. But Acts um, 20, and we want to go to verses 33 and 34. I'll start in 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Here it is. I have coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. So there you go. He was providing for himself and he even went as far as providing for other people because he was a resourceful person that knew how to do things. And uh, it's, it's an important thing. Anyway, I'll finish that life application. Here's the point that I made in it. Uh, I um, uh, said, we will have somebody that goes on a short-term mission trip, okay? They'll go to, we'll just say to the Philippines. So they go there for a week and a half. When they are on the airplane, they, they leave their house and they go to the airport. They get on the airplane, they fly to the Philippines. They get to the Philippines and then they get on a bus and they have to take it out into the country, you know, one of these old country buses with 75 people on it all overloaded and they get all the way out to the village and then they build their little school or whatever they're going to do. And then they get back on that bus and they drive all the way back to Manila. They get on the airplane, they fly all the way back to the U.S. And I bet that 99.999% of all people that go on that mission trip don't talk to a single person about Jesus on the way, on the airplane, at the terminal, on the bus. And when they get to the, the uh, village, those people have already been evangelized. All they're doing is building a school. So which one is more important, building a school that is gonna fall over in the next typhoon or that'll be, have to be rebuilt in 15 years or talking to somebody about Jesus, which is an eternal decision that they have to make, which is more important. And so that was my life application and I got myself convicted. And so um, hopefully I'll see her tomorrow and we'll talk to her about Jesus. Okay, so um, life application. The Bible conveys to us the importance of not relying on others but self-sufficiency we are in the projects every single saturday okay not all of us but as a group we have never missed a saturday in 16 years not one it's been we've had a hurricane we've had heavy rains we've had cold we've had hot we've had christmas day we've had or any other holiday except thanksgiving because that's obviously a thursday but we've we've hit every single holiday that you can think of we've had every possible thing that could go wrong go wrong and yet we have never missed a saturday in the projects okay i can assure you that they do not teach those people self-sufficiency if we were not down there telling people how to be self-sufficient they wouldn't even know what that word means and the funny thing is a lot of the people that are in the projects are people that have either gone with me to high school before me or after me or are still going to high school right now in the high school that I went to. 
These aren't people that are uneducated. They are people that are just out of society completely, but they know nothing beyond what they have at home. It shows you the effect that living in the projects has on a person because they're going to the same school that other people go to. And yet they go back to the project, don't they? Right back to the project and they're there the rest of their life. And I think they didn't learn anything in school. We're not teaching people self-sufficiency. They didn't give them 50 days. Yeah, yeah. To so, leave and get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't have their 50 days to get used to something else. Every day of their life, they just get on the bus, they go to, to uh, Riverview or to Sarasota High, and then they get back into their life, and that's it. And they're there the rest of their lives. There's no self-sufficiency there unless somebody is there to try to teach them that. And we have had a little bit of success. I'm going to tell you, it has not been a lot. In 16 years, I'd say 10 cases maybe, maybe eight. But we have had some people that have actually got their first job of their life. We've got people that, you know, work. One, one person drives cabs all night. I mean, these people are actually productive members of society now. But it's few and far between. But that's why we go there is to try to teach people not just about Jesus, but how they can be productive. I remember talking to one of the boys they moved out. I think they just moved to other projects, but I won't say his name. But nice young boy, he and his brother. And uh, I said to him one time, I said, do you want to be sitting here when you're 55 years old on this same porch and doing nothing all day? Is that what you want? And he said, no, I don't think I want that. Well, that's what you're going to do unless you get your life straight. You've got to be self-sufficient. I don't know what ever happened to him because like I say, uh, they moved out. But I think about that kid all the time, all the time. Uh, he's named after one of the books of the Bible, so the guys that go to the missions with me will know who I'm talking about, but don't say it out loud. Okay, um, uh, it goes, uh, I'll read that again. The Bible conveys to us the importance of not relying on others, but self-sufficiency. It even goes on to show that we are to care for others who cannot care for themselves. However, it never it never teaches that loafers should be cared for so that they can continue to loaf. Yeah. And that is what the U.S. government not only teaches, it encourages people to be totally dependent on the government. And this is a real problem. And this is just one little project out of every major city in all of America has oodles of people like this. And sometimes they have tens of thousands. I mean, our projects are not that big. But imagine the amount of human productivity that is wasted because the government gets involved instead of teaching the biblical way. That's the same thing with the prison systems. What happens when they have a prison ministry? The rate of recidivism goes down to almost nothing. The people that hear the gospel, that are told how to live a right life of self-sufficiency, leave and they never go back to prison again. But the government does not want prison ministries, and so they discourage it at the federal level. And so what do we have? We've got people that continue their whole life back in prison, back in prison, killing people, back in prison, get out after 10 years, go out and rob somebody, kill somebody, back in prison for 10 more years. There is no sense of hope for these people because they don't know the gospel. It is Jesus that will get people to live the right life. So whatever this is the life the world that we live in and all we can do is our best to try to help these people so verse 412 I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry with living in plenty or in want 
Okay, they, they use completely different words, but it says the same thing. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can tell you that I learned how to be full last night. We went to, uh, it was my son's, not yet, but we celebrated it last night, my son's uh, first wedding anniversary. And so we took them out to a special restaurant. There were seven of us there. And I ordered the biggest thing that they had. And the reason why I did is because Hidako doesn't have to cook for a few days now. But, but she still gets to warm it up because I don't even know how to warm up food. But uh, I am not self-sufficient on the food department. Okay. But um, she, uh, uh, we, we uh, had just a really wonderful time. So I know how to be full. I don't know about being uh, the opposite too much. But... Okay, let's see here. The words of this verse explain what he just said. Taken together, they read, I'll read the whole thing. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So there you go. That's Paul's uh, uh, idea, saying, I know how to be abased indicates that in a state of deprivation he could still function properly okay I don't think that most of the people of the United States could do that right now there are people in the Ukraine and uh, well Russia isn't being attacked but we'll just go with the Ukraine there's a war going on there and there are people that are learning maybe for the first time in their lives how to do exactly what he is saying here they may not be doing it from a biblical perspective, but they are learning how to be innovative. They're learning how to adapt to situations. And as uh, Clint Eastwood said in um, what was the movie Heartbreak Ridge, you got to learn to adapt to overcome. Okay, well, that's what you need to do. Okay, and Paul was able to do that. The people in the United States, just like it says about Israel in the Song of Moses, Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. America has grown fat. We've kicked God out of the uh, our lives, and we will be the ones to pay the price someday. And the whole world will. I mean, it's not just the U.S., but the whole world is going to go through this, the tribulation period. And people are going to either have to learn how to adapt and overcome, or they're not going to make it. And if they want to overcome in the eternal sense, they're going to have to overcome through Jesus Christ. And so it's important that people understand this. And that's another good reason why we tell people about Jesus even if they don't accept the gospel now, they will hear the message and when the ball drops and they, they at least will have the remembrance that Jesus is the answer, that if you don't tell them, they will never have that. And so I would suggest that if you uh, uh, feel even a little bit convicted about the, what I felt convicted about this morning, that you will take the time to talk to the people in your life about Jesus. Don't be embarrassed. I mean, what, what's there to be embarrassed about? If they don't wanna be your friends anymore, who cares? I, that's not what's important, but I would ask you to, to consider that and to talk to people about the Lord. Okay, um, saying I know how to be abased indicates a state of deprivation. He could still function properly in it. The word used indicates being brought low or being humbled. Okay, that's being abased, brought low or humbled. Next he says, and I know how to abound. This is in contrast to being abased. It indicates to exceed the ordinary and thus a state of surplus. Surplus, like what we had last night at dinner. It was a very nice dinner and uh, uh, just great time. So happy for the, the uh, one year 
anniversary for those wonderful children. Okay, when things were going exceptionally well, Paul took it in stride. Such times of abundance did not change him into a prideful soul, nor did he learn to rely on that abundance. Instead, when things abounded for him, he understood that it was simply a gift from the Lord. Okay, on the way home, as soon as we got done with dinner, we walked out to the car, and there was a big rushing wind. There were black clouds all around us, and uh, we got in the car. I got about a half a mile down the road, and it was pouring rain all the way home. And we got home, and all the way I was saying, oh, thank you, Lord, for the rain. That is a time of abundance in the life of a person in Florida. I've said this before. Florida is sand. If you dig after it hasn't rained for uh, three weeks, the sand is loose. It just falls right out. You get a shovel, and it just runs right off your shovel. Florida is sand, and sand is just a sieve. That's it. It just goes right through it. So the trees obviously will hold the water with their roots, but where there are no trees, it just goes right down into the aquifer. It goes right through. And so things dry out very, very quickly. And so I'm always thankful. Even if it rained yesterday, if it rains again today, I will say thank you, Lord, because that is a time of abundance. When we don't have that, it is a time of being abased. And it's not a fun time. Uh, you know, Florida doesn't really change its look. It stays green and beautiful all the time but things really need water here. And when it rains, you'll see all the little animals coming out and getting to the pools immediately. And, you know, so there you go. Um, let's see here, Rob, state of surplus. I said that. Um, yeah, it's a gift from the Lord. Following this, he says, everywhere and in all things. It is an absolute statement concerning every facet of his life. Wherever he walked and whatever came his way, it was included in the attitude that he now possessed. Everything in all ways. And if we can try to keep that in our minds, it's something I try to do. I try to be content in everything and in all ways, and I try to be thankful. And so even when I am out picking up the garbage that the tourists throw outside, which today for some reason it was, there are not a lot of tourists here, but it was pretty garbagey out there at the mall this morning. And you know, it's hard for me not to say, well, and start chewing on my teeth about it. But if I say, well, you know, Lord, this keeps me employed, at least I can be thankful about that. And so we, if we can try to redirect what is negative into something positive, then, hey, great, everything in all ways. Okay? It is an absolute statement concerning every facet of his life. Wherever he walked, whatever came his way, it was in, included in the attitude he now possessed. And... This attitude was that, as he says, I have learned. The word used more fully means, I have learned the secret. It is a metaphor which comes from the rites of initiation in pagan mysteries. And so it signifies something like, I have been initiated. Okay, From his past life, he had been initiated into this attitude which he now possessed. And I'm not saying that he was a pagan, but he's using terminology that the people he's writing to would understand. I've been initiated into understanding this life in Christ. The secret of contentment was learned. The contentment was both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. That is his state of contentment, to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. He has been initiated into that. He understands that those are not what is important. Although it does help, don't get me wrong, it is not what is ultimately important. His contrasting words show the totality of his life experiences. To him, 
He could get along with any extreme without demonstrating the negative qualities which will normally surround someone when faced with the same. So if you are lacking in one way or another in this way, then you need to try to turn the negative into a positive. Turn the hungry into being full, even if it's just a mental attitude. Uh, you know, here's a good example of this. I watched something on the people that were in the, the Americans that were in the Philippines during the war, World War II, and they had nothing to eat. The, the Japanese were in control. They might get a bowl of rice each every couple days or so. And the two children, this lady that was talking and her brother, I think it was a, a girl and a boy, it was definitely the lady that was talking though, she said that we used to have a game. She said we would stick our finger up to our stomach and see if we could feel our backbone. As sad as that is, and as hungry as they were, they were trying to make something good out of a bad situation. I can feel mine, I can, you know, and so, if you got to do something in life. You have to be able to do something to get your mind off of your hunger. And if it means just simply playing a game and feeling your backbone through your stomach, that's what you do. I know, as terrible as that sounds, that's what Paul is trying to tell us. There is something else that we can direct our minds to. In his case, it is Jesus. It is contentment in Christ. But those people, those children, were trying to find something to take their minds off of the absolutely agonizing hunger that they had. Well, if we can do that in Jesus instead of worrying about our backbone, then uh, we'll, we'll be a lot happier. But this is what Paul is trying to tell us, is to find contentment in Christ no matter what, okay? Uh, in times of being full, there was no need to boast. In times of famine, there was no need to worry. To Paul, life was lived for Christ. The carnal, temporary world was not the only hope he possessed. And so whatever state, whatever the state, it was nothing more than another step on the way to final glory, okay? Hard, hard to uh, imagine what some people have gone through as, well, you can see it right in the news right now. You, if you're willing to read the news, not the mainstream news, because they're never going to tell you about this, but if you read like the Christian Post or the Christian headlines, some of these uh, organizations, and especially the Voice of the Martyrs, you will hear what Christians are going through right now in the world, in Nigeria. They're, they're just getting killed by the hundreds and hundreds Okay, we get a couple of Rohingya or whatever they're called over in Burma, and it makes all the news in the world. But you got Christians that are uh, being slaughtered by the hundreds down in Nigeria, and you don't hear about it on any news service. Unless you are reading Christian news headlines or the voice of the martyr, you're not going to hear about this. But they talk about, these people will tell you about what they've been going through. And you think, how could they even endure through that? Well, they know Jesus, okay? They know Jesus, and so they're able to go through it, even as bad as it is. Life application. Paul's attitude in this verse is one which we should strive to emulate. If we can truly acknowledge that whatever we are facing now is the Lord's will, then we can trust that it is the proper place to be, even if it is a place of deprivation or total loss. And just because it's total loss does not mean it is not the Lord's will for us. Okay, unfortunately, we have something in America called the prosperity gospel. It is all over this nation, and it, people think that it is the Lord's will for you to be happy all the time, for you to have abundance and blessing all the time. And that may not be the case. 
the Lord may have his will that you find deprivation, that you lose your wife like Ezekiel did. Listen, I'm about to take away the joy of your eyes, okay? And you're not to mourn. You're not to cover your mustache. And all the things that they did during mourning, it was the Lord's will for her to be taken from him. And sometimes that may be the Lord's will for us. If you listen to people that preach a sappy sermon, where the Lord wants to bless you, I would turn that off because you are being deluded, okay? It's great to be blessed. And if he says the Lord is blessing you and you should be thankful for it, it's nothing wrong with that. But if somebody is telling you that you should be blessed, that the Lord wants you to be happy, don't listen to that stuff, okay? That is damaging to you when the tough times do come, which may be the Lord's will for you, okay? So, um, yeah, this temporary life is not the totality of our existence. All right, 413. I know it's not the norm, but that verse has chiastic qualities about it. Which one? The well, one we, we did, 12. I know to be abased and to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned to be full and to be hungry. Yes, to abound and to suffer. Absolutely, it does. Mm. Yeah, it wow. sure does. Yeah, goes okay. one way and goes back the other. Right. That's awesome. Which usually it's, it's cluster of... Uh, yeah, well, it can be single verses. I tell you, there are a couple in Acts that will tell you exactly what is going on in uh, uh, certain doctrines that people get wrong. Mm -hmm. The verse itself in the Greek will show you. The structure of a single verse will tell you what is proper about things that people argue over, if you simply look at the verse. And we'll come to some of them in Acts. Anyway, go ahead. 13. Okay. I can do everything through yes. him who gives me strength. Yes, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do, I, I better read mine because it, it, I think all it was, things. yeah, all things. I, that's what he said. I knew there was a difference and it's so close though that I wasn't going to say, oh, by the way, I did not mention it and I should say it before I uh, do this first. I went to the hospital today um, to see Emma. She had her skull, the piece of skull that they had taken out of her head. They, you know, had it kept so that they could put it back in. She had a surgery a day ago. They put that skull piece back in. You know, they need to give the brain a chance to swell and then to stop swelling. So they finally put that back in and she has not been awake for 24 hours other than to just wake up. Mom says, it's okay, go back to bed or go back to sleep. She needs a rest right now. So please keep Emma in prayer. Um, uh, she was asleep when I got there. So I just talked to mom for a while and then we, I had a prayer with her and we, I left, but there you go. That's the state of Emma because I know some of you were uh, emailing me about that. So wonderful, wonderful thing that uh, the Lord is healing her and she can get that back in. And uh, you know, your body goes through trauma like that, having a piece of your head put back in now, obviously you need to recuperate from that. But when that is over, um, she has only one more surgery, which is a congenital condition, a, a condition that the family has, and they identified it, and so they're going to take care of that as well. It's a hole in her heart. But other than that, I think all the surgery is done, and she should just start recuperating. So we'll hope she's back at Anna's making us sandwiches soon. We'll see. Um, okay, 413. This verse is not merely a standalone thought, but is given as a result of the previous verse. Taken together, they read, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is important to consider because we cannot really do all things. Okay, and that's a falsity that a lot of people will throw into verses like this. Okay. And they, they, they will misuse a verse. Was it you that sent a commentary to me on that this week? 
It was, okay? And I read that, and it was, I'm glad that we're doing this first now because uh, you had sent that on. It is, who did that? Okay, well, it was a good one. And uh, it's funny that that came out because um, uh, I, I said, wait a minute, I read that this week. He sent me a commentary on that where uh, it, it is, it's damaging when people, they use a verse like that and they say, oh, you know, well, um, I don't know, we're putting you in the ministry and I'm not really, I don't know if I can do that or not. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And that is a complete misuse of that. And that is damaging on people as well, because some people cannot type properly. Some people cannot, you know, whatever, whatever the skill that's needed is. And to just say that to somebody puts the, an onus on that person that they may not be able to fill. Okay, so you got to keep things in their proper context. I'll say this before I go on. This was so funny. I was reading um, uh, last week during the um, uh, Bible study, we were rejoice, uh, reading Rejoice Always, I say again, Rejoice, okay? And um, uh, Maya over in the Czech Republic did a Bible bite out of it. And up here it said, Rejoice Always. She was analyzing the verse, okay? But it says it down here too. So I didn't even notice that until I'm watching the Bible bite that we have Rejoice all over the place. So that was pretty fun. Okay, anyway, um, uh, yeah, keep things in their context and people will have a lot better lives when you tell them uh, uh, doctrine. Okay, we cannot really do all things th through Christ. We can only do those things which Christ allows us to do and which he provides for us to do, okay? First, when he provides for us to do it, means that we have the capabilities of doing something, all right? If somebody said, well, Charlie, we're gonna uh, move all the stuff in the church and uh, we need you to take that piano and carry it out to the truck. Obviously, I'm not capable of carrying a piano. I need like eight other people to help me, okay? So um, it, you gotta keep it in context. We can only do those things which Christ allows us to do because the Bible has certain things we're not allowed to do, okay? And which he provides for us to do. Paul did not heal Trophimus when he was sick. That's found in 2 Timothy 4, verse 20. There are many things which Paul could not do, which are recorded in the Bible. And so, to use this as a verse, uh, this verse as a means of claiming stuff in Jesus' name is wholly inappropriate, which is exactly what your commentary was saying, too. Rather, his thought is that he can endure all things. He can suffer through all things, and he has been given strength in all things concerning his situation, whatever it may be. If Paul is ready to have his head taken off of his shoulders, which finally happened to him, that's the tradition, it's not in the Bible, but he could do that because the Lord strengthened him for the, the ordeal, okay? It is Christ who gives him the ability to do this. Now, I got to tell you what, I know that the thought of whatever, being executed in one way or another is a terrible thought. Well, the fact is, and I hate to break this to you, but everybody is going to die. Everybody got that? Nobody's no. getting out of here alive, okay, unless the rapture happens. And so, if you're going to die anyway, and Jesus is what you're hoping for, then it really doesn't matter how or when you die, okay? It's not something that we should say, oh, I'm going to die. We shouldn't have that attitude. We ought to say, you know what, I'm going to die anyway. At least I get to go see Jesus. That's the way I look at it. I don't know if anybody else thinks the way I do, but that is how I think. I don't really care. Whenever the Lord is ready to call me home, that's when I'm going to go Your home. Your mother's going to smack you. 
Just let you know. No, that's okay. She's going to die too someday. I'm sorry to break that to you, Mom, but it's going to happen. Okay? She's, she's over there laughing at me. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, no claiming stuff in Jesus' name. Uh, rather, uh, I've already read that. Okay, understanding this, we can apply his words to our own walk, knowing that he is setting the example for us. Paul writes these things because they're for our edification. Okay? That's why they're in the Bible. We can endure through any and all trials that come our way. We can be strengthened through the times of redemption, thus not yielding to its pressure. I'm sorry, I said redemption, I meant temptation. Let me read that again. We can be strengthened through the times of temptation, thus not yielding to its pressure. Is it 1 Corinthians? What's that? Is that the first of 1 Corinthians? <laughs> Which one? What Paul is saying, you will not be tempted beyond your ability. Oh, to I don't know what, where is uh, that? Um, okay. Burke will tell you. I put the onus on him. Obviously, he can't do all things, okay? But he'll find it. I know he will. Yeah, it's probably 1 Corinthians something. Um, I think it's 4.13. 4.13. Oh, there you go. Maybe he can do all things. Okay. Uh, we'll find out if he can or not. We can stand calmly as the world spins out of control around us. This is possible if we keep our eyes on Jesus, okay? Not fearing what others will fear. Okay. Something happened two days ago. I was sitting at home. A big box, a guy, a big Russian guy came walking into the house with a big box, okay? It was this big box. The Russian guy is Sergio, obviously. And um, uh, so this box is there. And we sat down, we had dinner. And after dinner, I said, let's open the box. And so we were sitting in front of the TV and Sergio's next to me. And I like to do things methodically. This thing was wrapped like no box that you've ever seen. It was the most well-wrapped box in the history of the world. And there was brown paper, but it was covered completely by plastic and by tape. And I said, I'm going to recycle that brown paper. I don't like wasting. And so I spent like 15 minutes cutting off each thing and pulling off the tape very carefully so I wouldn't waste this brown paper that goes into the recycle. And he finally got so sick of it. He said, I'm going to go walk the dog. I'll be back when you get this thing open. Well, as soon as I kept going. Rhoda came over and she started tearing at it. I'm like, now you got to leave the paper. We're going to recycle that. So anyway, the whole point of it is that we got the box open eventually, didn't we? And what was in the box? One of the most wonderful things. This is a person that watches online and um, uh, she, I guess her father, Jerry, uh, had her start watching. She's told me, and I'm, I'm not remembering right now because I'm not thinking about it, but uh, she uh, made us two signs. They're beautiful. They're handmade. And she obviously knows my favorite verse in the Bible, Hebrews 12, 2. And that's the point I'm making right here. But before I give you Hebrews 12, 2, the second sign is something I say every single Bible study, every sermon, I say it all the time. Read your Bible. Okay? And my favorite verse is Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Okay? And so... What's that? I'm going to show them. You can keep talking. Oh, okay. He's obviously going to show you. I don't know how he's going to do this, but Sergio is going to show you. And so I will let this person know. I haven't let her know yet how appreciative I am, but we actually have that on the wall on both sides of the cross. And so it's a bit, oh, can you see it? There yeah, they are. One. Read your Bible. There's the cross and there's the other one. Okay. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. So um, the point that I was making with that is that... Um, uh, it's, where was I? We can do these things because our hope is an eternal one. 
Yes, we may suffer greatly. However, we have a hope which transcends the suffering because Christ has gone before us. We can keep our eyes on Jesus. We can fix our eyes on him and we can prevail because of Christ. And so that's why I have to remember that verse all the time. I have to remind myself of it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus because you get the whole world. It just pulls your eye. What was it that happened at the Mount of Transfiguration? What was it that happened? They're up there. Jesus suddenly uh, is uh, accompanied by Elijah and Moses. Moses, right? And what does Peter do? Wants to build a... He, he's, yeah, let's make, some ta- let's make some tabernacles for these two. And what is the divine response? This is my son. Hear him. Don't have a party about the law. Don't have a party about prophecy. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That was the divine response. Peter had his his everything out of whack in his head. And the Lord said, this is my, this is my beloved son. Hear him. If you can remember that, everything will go well when things are tough. Mm-hmm. What? 10, 13. Not Ten, oh, okay. It's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Can That's the verse we were things. looking for. Okay. Yeah. Burke can do mostly all things. Okay. <laughs> so, um, as a side note to this verse, the word Christ is not in many manuscripts. It may have been a later edition. The other sources state something like, I can do all things through him. So if your Bible doesn't say Christ, that's why. They chose a lesser manuscript. The intent is not changed, but if your version says this, that is the reason why. Okay. Obviously, Christ is the subject of the preceding verses, and so through him is speaking of the same thing. So either that was dropped out by somebody by accident or it was uh, somebody penned in Christ and it became a part of the text, whatever. But that would be why your Bible doesn't say Christ. Okay, life application. Context matters. To take a verse out of context will inevitably result in the formation of a pretext. Okay, a pretext is a lie, all right? Keep things in context and know that verses like this this one here, are intended to strengthen us for our walk filled with trials, not pave the way for a walk without them, okay? If you are listening to these people that are giving you these sappy sermons about God wanting to bless you, I'm sorry, that is not right theology. In the end, it is true. God wants to bless you. But in this life right now, that may not be the case. And there may be a reason that we don't even know Case in point, a guy named Joseph went through years of misery, right? Years of it. He was in prison when he didn't do anything wrong. He was thrown into a pit when he just went to tell his brothers a message. I mean, the guy went through all kinds of troubles and trials, and that was God's purpose and intent for him, for a much greater purpose, all right? So we need to remember the lessons of Scripture and not listen to people that just want you to send them your money so that you will be blessed. Okay, Job. that's not a smart way of doing things. Job. Job, yeah, look at Job. <laughs> I mean, he his life was absolutely miserable, but it was there to teach us a lesson. We were to learn from the misery that Job went through, if we are willing to learn, okay? Yeah, most people probably don't want to preach on Job. That would be just too damaging. Wow, or they want to get to the end and say, see, at the end of his life, he was double-blessed in everything, okay? Well, that is a truism, but it's not the point of the book of Job. Okay, so there you go. 414, let me turn to the page and then give me a second. Okay, 414. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Oh, that's a big one. I know. Nevertheless, you have done well 
that you shared in my distress. Okay. The words of the previous verses spoke of Paul's ability to be content in any and every situation without the need of external help. His reliance on the Lord and his reliance was on the Lord and he therefore was satisfied in whatever state he was in. Once again though, I'd like to remind you that Paul's reliance on the Lord did not mean that Paul did not take initiative in doing things. I talked about that a couple verses ago. Paul could sow tents. Paul could swim. Paul could do all kinds of things that were necessary for him to survive, right? If you are saying, well, I'm trusting in the Lord, and you're not doing anything, then you are not a smart person. I hate to say that. The Lord isn't just going to suddenly pave open uh, an alley for you to walk down. You have to use what God has given you, and you say, I'm going to trust in the Lord, but I am going to use the talents that God has given me to get through these things. If it means working in a, you know, building a condominium, great. If it means that you're going to work on a tech job, great. If you're going to be an engineer, great. Whatever your skills are, you have to use them. You can't just say, okay, I'm trusting in the Lord and he's just going to send me a pot of money. Okay. I, I, there are people I hear that talk kind of like that attitude. And when I hear that, I always think they're being over pious. They're, they're, trying to show that they are better than you because their trust in the Lord is greater than you. When in fact, they have exactly the same needs as every other person on the planet. Maybe they inherited $15 million and they're just telling people they're trusting in the Lord while they got lots of money in the bank, okay? It's not realistic to say, okay, I'm gonna trust in the Lord and that's it. You have two hands, you got two feet. Otherwise, you're gonna be doing what they do in the projects, sitting on the, stu on the uh, stoop for the next 50, 60, 70 years of their life and then dying. What a waste of human life, okay? If you can do something about that in your own town, wherever you are, in your own neighborhood, I would suggest you at least try. It's, you know, it's not a very rewarding thing going to the projects. We all know this, the people that have gone. There are times where you go and there's nothing for weeks and weeks and weeks, and no progress at all. But the slow, methodical building up of a person eventually will pay off in some lives. And that is, if you're willing to make that kind of a long-term commitment, it is well worth it. And you're gonna have people that their lives are really changed, not just temporary, you give them $50 and they say, oh, thanks, we have dinner tonight. That's, that's a very temporary thing, okay? If people learn to be self-sufficient, to actually get out and get their first job of their life, and a couple of them that we know have been working ever since, okay? And we don't see them often anymore because they moved to a different area. But when we do see one or the other, the daughter or the mother, they're always so grateful. Isn't that, it, doesn't that make it worthwhile? I got Tom over there and you know, it makes it worth all of the time that we spend down there. And if you can do that, if you can actually help people like that in your own neighborhood, I would suggest you at least try, okay? But don't look for all kinds of conversions on the first day and don't look for uh, you know, people to suddenly say, oh yeah, I'm gonna go out and get a job. Some of them took seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years just to get motivated enough to get off of drugs. And then once they're off of drugs, then to start getting their life in order, start going to church. It took years, but their lives are changed. Steady I, I, wins the way. Steady, race. that's right. And, and like the elephant, take one bite at a time and the thing will go down, okay? Steady wins the race. Okay, um, uh, the words of the previous verse spoke of Paul's ability to be content in every situation. Um, 
I think I read that, without the need of external help. Yes, his reliance was on the Lord and he was satisfied in whatever state he was in. However, this was not intended to mean that he was not grateful for the gift which was sent to him. And that's so he's showing his thanks right now. It is for this reason that he states what he does now. He says, nevertheless, these words are given to show that despite his ability to handle any situation, no matter how negative, it didn't mean that he wanted to have such situations, nor did it mean that a helping hand in one of them was unappreciated. Okay, uh, you get people that are in convents and... um, what do you call it? The guy goes, um, monasteries. monasteries. Thank you. you uh, anyway, they go to a monastery and they say, well, I don't have any needs. I, you know, I'm going to live in, it's like the Stoics kind of, they just kind of live this life that is just, and that's not the life that the Lord intended for us. People that live in monasteries or places like that, I honestly think not all of them, but I think most of them are just trying to escape life in one way or another. There are probably people that are in there that are really focused on what they're doing. They see a higher calling and they're following that higher calling. But I can't imagine people, unless they just want to get away from whatever situation in life they're in, what are you doing with your life? Are you telling people about Jesus? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. If you're in a monastery, you're closed off from everybody. You're not telling anybody about Jesus. You're not being an example to anybody except the people that are already there that aren't being an example to you. So we need to make sure that we are uh, not just saying things and having an attitude that people see and, oh, we need to actually do things. And that's the point here. And at the same time, when something good does come along, we don't want to be unappreciative. And Paul was not unappreciative. And because of their help that, to Paul, because of their help, he says, you have done well. It was no small thing to him that they attended to his needs. Rather, it was of great blessing to him. This then goes back to the words that began the chapter. We'll go to uh, uh, Philippians 1, and in verse 7, he says, verse 1, 7, Just as it is right for me to think of you uh, all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Okay, they're working together to have these things work out. Okay, their gift made them partakers with him in the, def- in the grace of defending and confirming the gospel. Though he was the one in chains, they shared, Paul's words, they shared in his distress. Together they were workers for Christ. Each had their assigned role and their help was a part of the process. As he noted, it could have Uh, He could have done without the gift. He would have been just fine without it. But because of it, they were a help to him. And it was also proof of their love for him. Okay? So Paul is thanking them and he's letting them know, because you've done this thing, you're a partaker with me. It's not just me doing this thing. You, by helping out Paul, are helping out Paul's ministry. Because a ministry can't function without people helping it. Okay? If it doesn't, if they don't get help, then it's just a one-man band. And you can't get much done with a one-man band. When we started in this church, I mean, Paul, he really helped set everything up. And uh, it's going to be good to see him again. Um, Mm -hmm. But he helped set everything up. But for the most part, I'd come in here on Sunday morning, and I did 
everything, didn't I? I mean, I, I did everything. I set up everything. There was nobody. And finally, people would say, well, let me fill up the, uh, you know, the communion cups, okay? And I'm like, I, I got to the point where, like, I don't want to do that because that's part of my routine. And then I thought, but they want to help. And so, okay, yeah, you know, and I, I, I had to go through this mentally because I'm like, I like doing this. I'm used to this every single Sunday. And then somebody says afterwards, you know, I'll take care of the dishes. And here I was doing the dishes after church every week. And so I'm like, okay, I didn't want them to do them. But then once they started doing them and they've been doing them every week since, I like that. Okay, so it, they are helping in the ministry, right? What's that? 50 days. <laughs> 50, yeah, 50 days and you get used to anything. But no, the point is that people want to help. And if they're helping, then there are other things that I can do. Okay, and that's what Paul was telling to them as well. It wasn't needed, but it sure did help, and he was no longer just a one-man band. Okay, so, um, uh, and okay, anyway, in Acts 20, he had told the Ephesian church the words of the Lord, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's <laughs> Acts 20, 35. Without saying that to the church at Philippi directly, he still conveys the exact same thought. They are the more blessed because they have given. He is the recipient of their gift, and he also is blessed because of it. Okay? Good job, Paul. Life application. Do you help support any missionaries? They may have struggles that we don't even know about, and yet they continue to do their jobs. Okay, we've got several missionaries that we support in the church here. We've got um, a girl named Priscilla who's in the middle of the state, but she's part of a missionary organization. She used to be in China, and now she's back, and she works for them because she got married and she's got kids now. So we support her. We support Ray and Jess in Papua New Guinea. We support um, Joel and Missy over in uh, Spokane. Uh, Washington, Spokane. We've got um, Isaac in Uganda. We've got um, Silas in Kenya. And we've had other missionaries that we've helped at times when they need something. We've tried to help them. Okay. And some of those every single month they get something. And some of them once a year and it's just easier that way, whatever. But if you help the church, you are indirectly helping the missionaries because that's where they get their support from. Okay, but it's not just money. Once again, they and we used to support uh, a lady over in Thailand, but then last last Saturday she got married, so we didn't have to support her. And wasn't that fun? What a fun wedding! I don't know if uh, if you're listening now and you haven't seen the wedding. It is on the Superior Word right up at the beginning because it's a recent video and what a fun wedding we were supposed to be on the beach last saturday we were on the beach last saturday and a giant squall came in and we got absolutely dumped on so don who was getting married his two boys and me and sergio and rhoda and about four others were absolutely soaked right to the bone and we carried everything around and we went into a where they were staying and we had a, a wedding in that little place and it was that was the most adventuresome wedding that I have ever been in, okay? We were standing there soaking wet, except the bride, because she had been in the hotel all along. And there were, I'm not kidding when I say this, there were mosquitoes all around. They, did you see the ones around me? They were There were like 80 of them just flying around me. And I had to keep doing this without people looking because I'm trying to, you know, and I, I like shake my hands and it was it was horrifying, but it was such a good time that I said to Don, because he was getting a little tense there, I said, Don, just think of the memories. Just think of the memories. But once the mosquitoes started coming out, I said, Don, we really got to get started. <laughs> I said it like four times, we got to go. Uh, so anyway, um, the point is that we used to support her as well, and now she's 
she's married. What a wonderful thing that is. Wow. Anyway, do you support any missionaries? They may have struggles that we don't even know about, and yet they continue to do their jobs. Jody used to send out a uh, letter every single month. Okay, uh, Jody's on the road again. And she would be very open about the struggles that she was going through. She didn't hide them like some people do. And she'd let you know. And then there were some struggles that she would email me about that she wouldn't put in Jody's on the road again. Okay, there was just certain things that she would want to just keep this between you and me and we'll pray about it or whatever. And that wasn't very often. But, you know, these people are people. And they're out there doing something in unfriendly situations quite often. And they're lonely or they're isolated. Most are entirely dependent on funding from others. The missionaries are usually entirely dependent on funding from others. In sending something to them, you will certainly be blessed. You will. And they will be blessed as well. Be sure to remember to send something along to them so that they know they are not out in the world all alone. Now, when we send something from the church, I always say, this is from the church, and they always say, tell the people in the church, thank you. And if I'm busy, I'll say, yeah, I will, and then I forget. But they're very appreciative when they receive something. I can tell you that, because that's how they live. And if you send them something extra. Now, one thing that is most people don't know that are in other parts of the world is that for us to send something from the United States, even something really small, can cost between 30 and $80. No kidding. But if you send it from the UK, it might cost you three bucks. If you send a big box from the UK, the, the shipping might be $5. It's very cheap. And the reason why this is is because we assume all of the mail burden for the rest of the world. We take their mail costs on ourselves. And so they can ship anywhere in the world. You sent something to Australia one time and you said, oh, it's like two bucks. I'm like, I said, what are you doing? He said, no. I said, what? And that's why I started learning about this. And then I tried to send somebody a Bible like in, um, uh, you know, the Gambia or something. And the Bible costs you, we'll say $30. It costs you $85 to send a Bible. And it might not even get there. So, well, a lot of the costs, for example, like in Israel, is offset by taxes. That's right. Because it's also tax. Yep. But we have taxes here too. Oh. Just so you know, now that you're here, you're going to find out about that. But yeah, American mail rates are specifically ours because we assimilate the, the costs other people shipping in. And so, uh, and that's just a part of uh, the, uh, the system that we have set up. If I send something to Canada, it might cost me $25 to send just over the border. When to Detroit, it'll cost $2.50. Uh, and for them to send the same thing down to us, it costs them no more. So that's just the way it is. So if you're overseas and you wonder why you don't get a lot of boxes from people in America, it's because it's really expensive. It, it costs more to send it than it does to buy the stuff usually. Anyway, um, life application. I, I think I said that. Um, no, I didn't. Yes, I did. Um, yeah, I did. 415. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the Bible, excuse me, with the gospel, uh, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving, except you only. Okay, little different, but not much. Now, uh, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Okay, so uh, this will probably be our last last one. Yes? Preaching the gospel, mind readings. I like that much better. Okay, I don't know what the word is. It may be if it's the, the word that it, we have in Acts three or four times already in Acts 8. I've been using it. Um, uh, 
it, it means to evangelize. And sometimes they will just simply say to evangelize, somebody will say preach, some will say preaching the gospel. And so that's translator's preference. But I don't. in the beginning of the gospel. You know, that, that really wasn't the beginning there with, with Paul. That no, that's that's right. Yeah. But I, I, I think what he's saying is the beginning of the gospel with them. Okay. And that would be to preach. So okay. that would explain it. But I don't know the exact word there, and I'm not going to take the time to do it. But okay. uh, let me see if I have it here. I don't see that I put the Greek word. So Okay, we'll go on. Um, up to now, Paul has spoken of the church at Philippi as having shared in his time of distress, meaning the time he was writing. In this verse, he looks back over the past years and commends them for having done so previously as well. What is believed to be a full 12 years earlier, he says, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel. I, I've got a commentary in the next paragraph. Uh, the, name, the proper name, Philippians, is in the emphatic position here. He is highlighting what they have done. So it would be like saying, now you, you Philippians, he's really telling them, you were the ones, you were the ones that helped. You were there at the beginning of the gospel. The term Paul uses indicates the beginning of their hearing and receiving the gospel. So it would be the preaching. Okay. When Paul came to preach it among them, and when they received, <coughs> excuse me, and when they received his words, it is the beginning of the gospel for them. It was during this period, and as he notes, when I departed from Macedonia, this is recorded in Acts 17. I think I've said this before, but if you follow Paul's letters and you look at how Luke has structured the book of Acts, you can see about the time that Paul is saying everything that he says. You can go back and say, oh, I know this time, I know this time. It's very, very precise. And yet there's no copying. There's no, you know, he didn't say, well, I, I took Paul's words and I inserted them here or something. It's not like that. It's just everything works together seamlessly. It's not like one was just making stuff up. Luke was very carefully recording things. Paul is writing down what he remembers and they do fit. Okay, so when first in Philippi, which, which is in Acts 16, he moved on to Thessalonica, which is Acts 17, verse 1. From there, he moved on again to, after Thessalonica? Berea. Berea. That's right, because the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. Because, yes, okay, there you go. Uh, that's Acts 17, verse 10. Do you have that written in your Bible there? No, we made we made the journey. Oh, so. oh, that's right. They went there. They went on Paul's journeys uh, last year. Yeah. Last year. So they're remembering all this right now. Mm. Um, okay. So due to the trouble there, he decided to leave Macedonia and head into Greece. Okay. He had trouble in um, uh, Berea. The people came down. He was escorted down, and you can tell from the Book of Acts that Paul had a physical limitation. We can assume that it was his eyes. It could have been something else, but it was probably his eyes. And anytime Paul goes somewhere, there's somebody accompanying him. They take him to the boat. They take him here. They take him there. And it's not just because they want to be with him for another hour and a half. It's because he needs to be with somebody. You're going to see that when you read the book of Acts. Okay, so that was Acts 17, 14, where he decided to leave Macedonia and then go down into Greece. Okay, it was probably at this time that he received assistance from them. Or it could be shortly after in Acts 18 verse 5 when Silas and Timothy met up with him in Corinth that they brought a gift from Philippi. 
Okay, so we don't know the exact timing of it, but it was sometime around this time. As he notes, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Those in Philippi heard of his fleeing from Macedonia, and they determined to not only pray for him, but to send along a gift to help with, their exp with the expenses of his travels. This was obviously unsolicited, and he is reminding them of their generosity these many years later. Listen, I was out there, I was doing my thing, and you guys were good enough to send something along to help me. It was very, very nice, okay? The idea of giving and receiving that he speaks of is a metaphor con connected to a commercial transaction where one pays for something and then there is an exchange with goods which were paid for. Charles Ellicott notes that they opened, so to speak, this is Ellicott's words, opened, so to speak, an account with me. Not of debit and credit, but of free giving and receiving. Paul was the recipient of their gracious giving. It would be like having a monthly charge taken out of one's credit card to pay the expenses of a missionary. Some even think of it as an allusion to 1 Corinthians 9 verse 11, where the sowing of spiritual things by Paul would, in return, find them giving of their earthly wealth to support him. However, Paul never asked for this, and so it is an unlikely stretch of his words. He's simply grateful that someone saw fit to send him a gift as he continued to minister to others. They, a young and poor church, saw the need for Paul's mission, not only among them, but also among any to whom he would be led to. Okay, before I give the life application, I will say this. We at this church have never asked for anything for this church, except one thing when it was to ask letters for a bar was supposed to go in right next door here, and... Um, uh, I asked, would you please send in a letter to say, this is your church and we support not having a bar next to it. And a lot of people send in letters and we were very appreciative. That's the only time we've ever asked for anything for this church. And yet people have been good enough to send and help this church. And so I, you know, I don't often say this. I've said it like at Christmas sometimes, and I might say it one or another time, but I am so appreciative of the people that help this church. Okay. It's unsolicited. It shows you that people care, and that means a lot to me. And so I won't beat this to death, but thank you for that. Anyway, um, uh, we got a life application, but before I read the life application, so I don't forget when we pray, because I'm bound to, we get excited and all of a sudden something happens, is that we have two wonderful people that are sitting with us today that are going away for a nice, dreamy summer up in North Carolina where it's cool and, and wonderful. Well, we'll be down here sweating in 95 degree, 400% humidity weather, which I don't mind, but it still is difficult. So I hope that you two will have a good summer. Be safe, and uh, we hope to hear from you. Maybe a call once in a while. Hedico two years ago said she was going to come up and visit, and she didn't. And then last year she didn't go, so maybe we'll get her up there this year. I know that, so we'll try to get her up there. If she have room for this yeah. whole church. There, oh, we'll, 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 the whole church will just come up and meet there. We'll do live streaming okay. from North Carolina. Anyway, you guys be safe, and we, we love you, and we hope that you have a good summer, okay? Well, we love this church. Oh, good. Oh, thank you. Bless. Okay, life application. How willing are we to give of our worldly possessions in order to ensure that the message of Christ Jesus will continue to be proclaimed? This includes both missionary work being funded in order for the word to go out for the first time and also for the maintenance of the church where the word is explained and fellowship is found. 
The amount you give may be directly connected to the value your heart places on the message which is being conveyed. Um, I had somebody write me a letter yesterday. She uh, sent me a letter and she said, I, they visited here once and while they were here, the husband said, um, uh, I want you to talk to this individual, my wife, this person, I, I want you to talk to her about tithing because she feels that she needs to tithe. And I, I said, that's not true. I said, the Bible does not teach that. And I went through the tithing verses. And since then, we've probably done another two or three tithing sermons because that was in the Deuteronomy series. But she wrote me a letter and she said, you know what? All of the pressure of the world was taken off me. She said, I could not understand why God would be mad at me if I didn't give 10%. I just didn't get that, and I needed to hear that. And she says, we give more now than we gave before. Right. But we don't have any burden on us. It's simply because we love to give, okay? They've got a church they attend, they, and so it, it is just, to me, such a wonderful thing when people realize that the burden does not exist that has been pounded in them, especially by, like, Baptist churches over the years. You are not required to tithe. You give if you want to give. If you can't give, then just pray for people, whatever. Use your time wisely, okay? That's what you need to do. And use your time directed towards Christ Jesus. Burke has something, and then we're going to close. You mentioned 1 Corinthians 9. I think, I think it is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on the giving. Okay, right here. Let me, let me check that because I do that a lot. I do that a lot where I will write the wrong verse. And um, so you said, I said, where was that? The, the one we just looked at? Yeah, it was just in. Okay, I said something about Corinthians 4.11. Okay, and we're starting with what verse this week? Oh, I see. Um, okay, let me check this. Let me put a question mark there in that. Okay, and then we're starting with 4.16 next week. Okay, and we are just on time. This is great. Thank you, Burke. I, I'll check that and make sure. But uh, I, I do that a lot of times. Mom found one today. She sent me an email and she said, you said in your commentary, it's two Corinthians and it's one Corinthians or vice versa. So, you know, that's just me. I type things and I'm not, I'm, I, I'm trusting other people will catch my errors. Okay, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful chance to come into your presence and to share in your word. We're so grateful to you for the people that are out in the mission fields that are doing their jobs and they're getting the word out. And Lord, please convict us in our hearts that if we're not telling people right next to us from day to day about Jesus, that we should do that, that we should take the time and make the effort to tell them at least that they hear it. Even if they don't receive it, at least they hear the message and we will have done our job. Help us not to be negligent in that. And Lord, we ask for a safe and happy summer for the doctor and Mabel, and please just bless them in their hearts and in their souls. And especially and above all, we just ask that you come, Lord Jesus. May it be soon. And until that day, we love you and we'll keep sharing your word and reveling in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Let's uh, just let's back this thing up here. Okay, whoops, almost dropped that. Okay, we got to back that up, right? Oh.